uh, for your goodness to us. You are better to us than we deserve. And, uh, and we just acknowledge that. You're so big. Uh, you're so big and you're so right in every way. And, uh, and, and, you, and you love us and you think about us and, and you interact with us. Uh, we're, we're just so grateful uh, to be your children. We're so grateful to be able to know you because of Jesus. And so now, Father, as we take a look at your word, open up our hearts, open up our minds, instruct us, help us, make us more and more the people you've called us and created us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah and amen. Well, I may have just shouted my voice right out of the uh, right out of the room there, but but amen. Praise the Lord. Well, all right. So as we continue, am I? Am I I'm excited. All right. So as we continue uh, walking together through uh, Matthew chapter eighteen, we've been doing this for several weeks now. Learning how to love other people well. Uh, this morning, I got a fairly simple, fairly short, what I hope is really, really encouraging thought to share with you. Uh, but in order to get there, um, we're going to need to start once again with a passage from Matthew 18. We've already referenced twice in this particular teaching series. And so as you're able, would you stand with me, please, and honor the Word of God? And just to get us focused and moving, we're going to read together. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If you're with me in the church building here, I'm going to read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portion. If you're worshiping with us over our YouTube channel, just read the text as it pops up on the screen, and we're going to walk through the passage together. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. This is Jesus talking. Yeah, this is Jesus talking. This is what the Bible says. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you agree if you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Well, this morning I want to focus on the last three verses, that, that, that last little, little section of this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, the verses are well known. They are widely quoted, and I'm sad to say they are often wildly misunderstood. And because of that, before I can get to the really encouraging thought I want to share with you, we need to back up for just a couple of minutes and walk through a little bit of the misunderstanding of this passage. In the very early days of the Christian church, in the formative days of the Christian church, the Apostle Paul wrote a couple of letters to a guy named Timothy, Timothy was a young protege of Paul's in the ministry. And in these letters, Paul gave him some instructions on how to function as a leader and a teacher in the church. And one of the things Paul wrote to Timothy was this. He says, do your best to present yourself as, uh, to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Say, correctly handles the word of truth. Now, I want you to understand that this book, the Bible, is the written word 
fact, the Apostle Paul says just a little bit later that all of it is God-breathed. All of it comes from God. All of it came from God as the Holy Spirit moved people to write down the particular words of this book. And as a result, the Bible provides for us our most fundamental guide for life. It is the standard by which all other ideas and all other teachings are to be judged. It is the standard and the rule by which our own lives will ultimately be judged. It is the standard and the rule by which the Christian church is led and instructed and discipled. And so the Apostle Paul says very clearly, when it comes to handling the words of this book, when it comes to handling the words of Scripture, you need to make sure you handle them correctly. You need to handle them with care. You need to handle them well. The, the, the original Greek word, because this was originally written in Greek, that, that's translated here as handled correctly, is a word that literally means to cut straight. So Paul says, man, when you handle the Word of God, you need to cut it straight. When you dissect the Word of God, you need to cut it straight. In other words, he's saying this, don't be sloppy in handling the Bible. Don't be careless, don't be casual in handling the Scriptures. And you need to understand that when it comes to understanding the words of the Bible, when it comes to understanding the Word of God, context is crucial. And so when Jesus says here, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, or when he says, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. One of the questions you need to ask is, in what context did Jesus say that? Now, for many Christians, especially Christians, from charismatic and Pentecostal traditions, these verses are most often quoted in the context of prayer and spiritual warfare. You'll, you'll, you'll often uh, hear, sometimes hear people talking about binding and loosing things in prayer. They'll talk about binding the devil, binding the enemy as, as an action of spiritual warfare. And I want you to know that I believe there is absolutely biblical support for that activity based on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. But that is not at all what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 18. In context, when Jesus says what we just read together, he is not talking about spiritual warfare. Jesus does not have demons on his mind. He is not talking here about binding devils or loosing miracles. He's talking about loving other people well. And very particularly, he's talking about lovingly resolving conflicts that you might have with them. This isn't about demons. This is about people and how you tie them up or set them free. How you hold on to stuff. Or let it go. How you uh, pursue. Or else how you resist. Reconciliation. Just look at the context. These words of Jesus come immediately after. Jesus' comments about pursuing reconciliation. And they come immediately before he tells a parable about a guy who refuses to forgive people. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus is talking about loving other people well enough to pursue reconciliation with them. On the one hand, by being willing to go graciously to someone who has wronged you. And on the other hand, by being willing to listen graciously when somebody comes to you that way. And then in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, he tells a story about a guy who gets in big trouble. We'll look at it next week. For refusing to forgive people. And right between these two things, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So let me just say it again. This is not about binding or loosing demons. This is about binding and loosing people based on how well you love them and how much you're willing to forgive and how much you're willing to ask for forgiveness. And guess what? That whole part where Jesus says, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven, that part also falls in exactly the same context. The context of loving others and protecting relationships and pursuing reconciliation. In other words, when Jesus said these words, he was not giving you a blank check to ask for anything you want and under the conditions that as long as you can get somebody else to say amen, God is obligated to give it to you. That is not what Jesus is saying. Rather, in the context of Matthew chapter 18, in the context of kingdom love and kingdom relationships, Jesus is saying, if you will love people well enough to work through stuff with them, if you'll love people well enough that to, to work until you can agree together, man, God loves and honors that. One kind of fun note here. Again, in the original Greek, the word that's translated here as agree is a form of the verb sum phaneo, from which we get the English word symphony. Here's the point. Jesus is talking here in context about coming into harmony with other people, especially learning to come into harmony about the relationship itself. See, in a symphony, very different sorts of musical instruments from very different musical families, brass and percussion and woodwinds and strings, all come together in the same key, working on the same tune, blending their differences in such a way that the final result is beautiful music. And Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying here is, dude, if you guys will do that, if you'll love each other well enough to work through your conflicts, if you'll love each other well enough to work through your differences, if you'll love each other well enough to work and work until you begin to harmonize together, when you love each other well enough to willingly address real concerns, when you love each other well enough to genuinely listen when people come to you with their concerns, when you really love God and love people like that, God is right there with you, ready to move on your behalf. And that brings me to my last, the, my real point of focus. The third thing Jesus says in this short section. Again, it's well known, it's often quoted, and almost always out of context. 
Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says, Where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I quote this a lot. I regularly quote these words of Jesus. And almost every time I quote them, I quote them in such a way, or I quote them in order to make a point very different than the point Jesus is making when he says these words here in Matthew 18. Typically, when we hear these words of Jesus quoted, uh, it's, in, it's in the context or in reference to some sort of gathering of the church, whether it's a large official gathering like Sunday morning worship, whether you're here or all over the city, or uh, small unofficial gatherings where people come together to pray. But typically in those sorts of gatherings and in reference and in the context of those sort of gatherings, someone at the very beginning will quote these words of Jesus in an effort to encourage everybody. And so right at the outset they'll say, you know, Jesus says where two or three of us are gathered in his name, man, he's right there in the midst of us. I got to tell you, this week I I read a a, a number of commentaries uh, on this passage of Scripture uh, from people way more famous than me. And, uh, and I am sad to tell you that the vast majority of them commented on this verse as if it had no context. Now, just to be clear, I believe Jesus is absolutely, really, truly, authentically present in the midst of his people. I believe that. In his great love for you and his great love for me, he has attached himself and committed himself into ways I don't think we've even begun to understand yet. Because the truth is, love attaches itself. Love connects itself with the ones it loves. You simply cannot be detached and really love somebody well. When you love others well, you become attached to them. When you love others well, you begin to identify with them. Man, you hurt when they hurt. You rejoice when they rejoice. You delight when they succeed. You cry tears of joy at their graduations and at their weddings. And you cry tears of sorrow at their sick beds and at their funerals. In Matthew chapter 18, we're learning how to love other people well. And nobody, but nobody does that better than Jesus. Jesus understands when you love somebody, man, you attach yourself to them. You connect, you identify yourself with them. And so Jesus says, you know what? When you feed them, you feed me. When you clothe them, you clothe me. When you visit them, you visit me. Because Jesus identifies with the people he loves. When Saul of Tarsus was going around persecuting Christians, having them arrested, throwing them in jail, Jesus appeared to him and looked him in the eye and said, Saul? Why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus loves well. Jesus identifies completely with the people he loves. He connects himself and attaches himself to the people he loves. And so again, I want to be crystal clear. I believe wherever God's people are, I believe if it's just one of them, I don't think it takes two or three. I believe when it's just one of them, wherever God's people are, Jesus is truly present right there in their midst. But, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, has a context. And when Jesus spoke these words, he spoke them in that context. 
And he wasn't talking about church meeting. And he wasn't talking about prayer meeting. He was talking about loving people enough to resolve conflict with them. To pursue reconciliation with them. To offer and seek forgiveness with them. And that is the context. That is the setting. That is the backdrop into which Jesus says, where two or three of you come together. When you come together in love to pursue relationship, when you come together in love to work through your problems, when you come together in love to live out the gospel, forgiving and asking for forgiveness, when you do that in my name, when you do that because you love me, when you do that because you want to honor me and you want to obey me, when you do that, choose, Jesus says. I am so right there with you. Binding and loosing right there with you. Listening to the symphony you're making to the Father. Ready to give you whatever you ask for. The peace and the healing and the reconciliation you ask for. And here, finally, is the point of this message. The big takeaway I have for you this morning, what I hope is super encouraging to you. When you commit to love others well, to treat people like Jesus tells you to treat them, even when it's really hard. When you commit to pursue reconciliation, even when it feels impossible. When you commit to listen openly, when people talk to you about things they have concerns about in your life, when you commit to live like that, Jesus is right there in it with you. Right there listening, right there helping, right there upholding, right there encouraging, right there giving you what to say. Right there walking through it with you. In a way, I believe, in a way that goes above and beyond the way he's normally right there with you. Because when you love others well, and when you do the hard work of loving others well, you attract in some unique way the grace and the help and the presence of Jesus. So to the person who's thinking, but it's so hard, Jesus is right there with you. To the person who's saying, I don't know what to say. Jesus is right there with you. If you're thinking, but what if they get really angry? Jesus is right there with you. If you're worried, but what if they refuse to forgive me? Jesus is right there with you. In the context of doing the hard work of loving people well, Jesus promises to be right there with you. And I personally cannot think of anything better he could have promised you in that situation. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. 
Your word that shows us who you are. Your word that shows us who we were created to be. Lord, help us love others well. Help us be a people who love you and love others. Even when it's hard work. And we thank you that you promise when we do that. That you are right there with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.